Thank you. Thank you, praise team. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Glad that you're here. So it's good to have our, uh, our Puerto Rico mission team back. Uh, two of the guys are in this service, Matt and Bob. Thank you guys for going to Puerto Rico this past week and for all the good work that you did in the church down there. I know Pastor Jose greatly appreciates it. Hey, it's good to have you in the Lord's house. We had a good service at uh, 9 o'clock, but you know what? I think this one may be a little better. Don't tell the nine o'clock people I said that, all right? Uh, We finished up, wrapped up our series on tough questions. I'm going to start a new series today. I'll begin it this morning, and then for the next three weeks, I'm going to talk to you about what I consider to be the single most important ingredient in successful living, and that is trusting God. So today we're going to talk about, can I trust God? And then we're going to talk about later on, can God trust me? And really, when we understand this and we have this dynamic in our relationship with God that we are trusting Him and He knows that we ourselves are trustworthy, then we can live a successful Christian life. Uh, When I was a kid growing up at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, uh, one of the songs that we sang a lot simply said, Trust and Obey. You know that song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. Well, there are two questions I've heard Christians ask more than any other questions. And the first one is, how can I know God's will? Have have you ever wondered that for yourself? Raise your hand if you have. Can, Can I know God's will? How do I know God's will? And then secondly, how can I be a success for God, for others, and for myself. And I'm here to tell you the answer to both of those questions is found in trust. Trust is the most important factor in knowing God's will for my life, and trust is the most important factor in growing in God's kingdom, not only in his kingdom, but growing myself and growing in love for other people. It's all about trust. Trust has to be at the very foundation of our relationship with each other. Are you with me? And most importantly, with God. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Really want you to look at uh, the passage I have on on the screen because I'm going to be reading out of the contemporary English version and I doubt very many of you have this EV in your hands. So just follow along as I read it up here, Proverbs 3. Are you there? Are you really here? Do you want to be here? (laughs) That was a trick question, guys. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My child, God is saying this to you. My child, remember my teachings and my instructions and obey them. Now, here's the deal. I've got certain words underlined from this passage. And when we come to one of those underlined words, we all say it together. All right. So here's what God is saying. My children, my my precious child, remember all of my teachings and all of my instructions. That is the Bible. Remember everything I have taught you and obey them completely. They will help you live a long and prosperous life. Who's in for that? You know, I don't know. As I get older, I don't know about the long thing. I'm, sometimes, some days I'm just ready to go on to heaven, you know, get a new body. Anybody with me there? But prosperous, okay, I can go with that. Let love and loyalty show like a necklace and write them in your mind. 
God and people will like you and consider you a success. Say that again. You must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Let him lead you and he will clear the road for you to follow. Don't think that you are wise enough, but respect the Lord and stay away from evil. This will make you healthy and you'll feel strong. And then we come to verses 9 and 10, which are really two of the greatest stewardship verses in the Bible. We don't refer to them enough, but here's what they say. Honor the Lord by giving him your money. Other translations use the word wealth. Really, it's talking about the stuff of life. You honor God by giving him the stuff of your life and the first part of What was that word? Say it one more time. Your crops. Then you will have more grain and grapes than you'll ever need. Do, do you get what he's saying there? God's saying, you honor me. Listen, look at it like this. You honor me with the stuff I've provided for you. You honor me with the stuff I have given to you. You give me the first of all of that back, which he's talking about the tithe there. You honor me with the first part, the 10%. And you know what? You're never going to have to worry about anything because I'm going to supply more than enough of what you need. You're working on that. Me too, buddy. It's a lifelong process. It's talking about trusting God. Let me give you a few observations that I came across as I studied this passage this past week. Number one, these commands are all-inclusive. And he gave several commands here. Did you notice that they are without exception? He didn't say that we were to partially obey the Lord's teachings and instruction. He didn't say that with most of our heart or some of our heart, we are to trust him and that we were to sometimes supposed to allow him to lead us. No. What were the words that we had underlined? Words like completely and always and all and always again and ever and all of your crops. These words are all inclusive no exceptions, no leaks. God says, listen, I want you to understand that trust is a total affair of the heart. You either trust me or you don't trust me. And you've got to trust me with all of life. And to break it down, that means your family, your finances, your future, everything. It's all-inclusive. So, do I trust God with everything? The second observation that I made was this. The commands precede a promise. That is, God tells us that if we do these things, and he listed them, then he's going to do some stuff. Let me back up here. The stuff God does is a whole lot better than the little stuff we do. But he's saying, if you just do what I tell you to do, then watch out, buddy, because I'm going to open the windows of heaven, and I'm going to pour out a big blessing on you. Let me talk about that as the third observation. The promises are conditional. He says, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to bless you, but you've got to act first. You see, we do our part, and then God does his part. If we trust him completely, if we obey him completely, then he has some wonderful provisions for us. But we've got to do our part. 
Now, this is countercultural because in our society, everybody wants something for nothing. I'm entitled to this. No, you're not. Really. Are you with me? I'm sick of that philosophy. No, you're not. God didn't teach that. His word didn't teach that. I'm reading through the Bible again. I do it every year. In the morning, I read through the Bible. I'm doing it chronologically this year, and I'm in the book of Exodus. You know, it's amazing. God gave all of these promises to his people, but he said, for me to bless you and and do what I'm going to do to you, here, here are the requirements. These are the things that you have to do. And I want you to understand, in the New Testament, none of that has changed. God expects you to live the Christian life. There are certain things we've got to trust God in. There are certain commands that we must obey. But if we do our part, let me tell you, God's going to do his part. And he's going to bless us. So I've kind of twisted into stewardship. Let me make a couple of stewardship statements, and then we'll get into our message. Number one, God is trustworthy. In fact, that is the greatest stewardship statement I can make. God is tr- You can trust God. God is completely trustworthy. Second statement is this. God has entrusted, that is, he has placed within our care certain possessions and opportunities and talents and time that we have. He's given them to us. He's placed these things in our, he's entrusted us to take care of his stuff. And that leads me to the third statement. We are trustees of everything God has given to us. You say, whoa, hang on, preach. Hang on, preach. I'm thinking back of Bob Butler. He called me, preach, preach. Hang on, bud. You're saying, hang on. My name is on that bank account. It's my name on the title to that truck. It's my house that I live in. These are my rings. These are my clothes. These are my blue shoes. They're mine. Not really. (laughs) Not really. They're not yours. Because you know what? You're not going to take them with you. Bible said, I brought nothing into this world. You didn't bring anything in. You're just a little naked thing when you came out of your mama's womb. And then, ah, it started. Huh? I didn't bring anything into this world. And guess what, Jack? You're not going to take anything out of this world. Nothing. So it's really not yours. It's God's. Everything really belongs to God. Now I'm going to get a little technical and theological with you. We believe that God created ex nihilo. That means God made something out of nothing. There was a big old black hole of nothingness, and God simply spoke the word, and he created. He brought into existence everything we have. You can't do that. You can create something out of something else, but you can't make something out of nothing. God did that, and he created everything that there is. It's not yours, it's his. He's just allowing you to take care of it for him. He's entrusted it into your care. So, you know, that brings us to a point where we got to do a timeout. Everybody do a timeout with me, just to make sure you're out there. There's only 17 of you out there that did the, come on, everybody, everybody, time out, time out. I think it's time we ask ourselves a question, and and it's really the question of this entire sermon. Do I trust God? 
Do you? Really ask yourself that question. Do I trust God? I mean, where do I place my faith? Where do I place my confidence? You know, it's easy to say I trust God, and you're going to say it right now with me on three. One, two, three. I trust God. All of you. One, two, three. Now, you said that with your lips, it came out of your mouth, but did you really mean it? It's easy for us to say, I trust God. It's easy for us to say, yes, I am obedient to whatever God tells me to do because I trust Him. But remember, folks, it is Sunday morning, and you're in church. And if there is one place we do not lie, (laughs) it is in church on Sunday mornings. So really, think about this. Do I trust God? Only you can really answer that question. Do you? Don't answer out loud, but answer inside. Have I really been trusting God with everything? Do I look to God as my source? Do I trust Him in everything? Or do I just trust Him in some things? Do I trust Him in the big things, but not the little things? Or maybe I trust Him in the little things, but I can't trust Him in the big things because I want to take control then. Honestly, this this is an incredible question. And I've been wrestling with this question for weeks as I've been planning for this sermon. I've, I've come to the conclusion that this is the one single key to successful life in Jesus Christ. It's trusting God. And can I tell you, it is not an easy thing to do in a self-reliant society. And that's what I want you to stay with me for the next four weeks, next three weeks after this one. Because we're going to answer today this very important question, do I trust God? Do I really trust God? And how can I trust God? And and, and if you think that's tough, just come back next week. If you're sweating bullets over the question today, can I trust God? Wait till next week because we're going to ask and answer the question, can God trust me? In the first service, they all went, a tough question. Can he? Can God trust you? Are you a trustworthy person? Can, can God look at you and say, you know what? I know that guy trusts me. I know she trusts me. Therefore, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up the windows of heaven. I'm, I'm going to stretch their territory. You know that passage in the Old Testament to expand the territory. I'm going to give them more. Why? Because I can trust them. Or maybe there's an area of your life that, that God, you know, he really can't trust you in that area. So he has been holding back blessings from you that he wants to give you because he can't trust you in that particular area. So come back next Sunday. It's going to be good. Can God trust me? And then weeks three and four, we're going to do this trust test. Test one and test two. And really get down to business as we talk about, you know what? Here's how I can trust God. And here's how God can trust me. Am I truly trusting him? But today we're talking about can I trust God? So let me get back to that. Just a little commercial. Be here next week and then the two following weeks as we continue to talk about trust. Now, I'm talking about God today because I think you can trust God. I really believe, I trust God. Can you trust God? Well, let me give you two trustworthy thoughts about God. Number one, you can trust God because God's care for you is constant. God loves you and God cares for you 
Always. You can rest assured that God is constantly looking out for you and God is always caring for you. I love Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. God has said this. Never will I leave you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's what God said to us. I'm not going to leave you. So we can say with what? Confidence. The Lord is my helper. He's on my side. Therefore, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Isn't that an awesome promise? God said, I will never, ever leave you. In fact, in the original Greek language, it reads, I will not, no, not leave thee, neither will I forsake thee. Five times God wants to assure you that he's never going to leave us. His care for us is constant. How many of you know the name George Beverly Shea? That name ring a bell to you? Some, some of you that are my age and older. Yeah, he, he traveled with Billy Graham, the great evangelist. Uh, he was the singer. He led all the music at the Billy Graham Crusades. And every town that they went to, every city they went to, every crusade that they went to, George Beverly Shea did the singing. And people would ask him when he would go to a new city to sing certain songs. And he said the strangest request that he got is when he went to this, this one city and somebody came up to the stage and gave him a little slip of paper and asked him if he would sing this song. And the song was, God's Grip Don't Slip. You ever heard of that song? God's grip don't slip. Now, it, grammatically, it's incorrect, but let me tell you, that's some pretty good theology, isn't it? God's grip doesn't slip. That's why Peter said that we can cast all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our anxieties on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for us. His care is constant. It's not occasional or sporadic. His care is total. It's not partial. His care is sovereign. Nothing can touch me or you without first touching the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, God cares for you. Now I'm going to show you my age right here. Uh, how many of you can remember with me when, when this, it was a photo that came out, a print, and it had this poem written on it, and it's simply called Footprints. Y'all remember Footprints? Foot, raise your hand real big because I want to see how many of y'all can remember. Footprints in the sand, all right? This came out, I don't know, sometime in the, in the 60s, and, and when I first heard it, I was just a little kid, and I thought, man, that's awesome, that's cool. As I got older, I got a little more cynical and thought, you know, that's kind of corny, but I'm back at the point, because I'm an old man now, that's cool, you know? And for some of you, you if you've never seen it, it's just it's a picture of, of two sets of, of footprints in the sand. And then if you have the portrait or the print, it's got this little poem or this little story written on it. Now, the real question as to who actually wrote footprints, I believe a lady by the name of Margaret Fishbeck wrote it because she's got the best story, <laughs> you know? And she claims to have written it. Um, what happened in her life was a, a downward spiral. She was engaged to a man, her fiancé, they were supposed to get married, but he just walked out on her and went off with, an, with another woman and uh, just broke her heart. Right after that, she got very sick with meningitis, was uh, bedridden for literally several months, and her life hit a low spot. You ever been there where you just, man, your chin has hit the last rung of the ladder and, you know, life ain't worth living anymore. 
But during that time of her sickness, uh, uh, another man came into her life, and he fell in love with her, and he asked her to marry him. And here's what she said, no, I can't marry you because I'm out of trust. Have you ever heard that phrase? I'm out of trust. She says, I'm not sure I even trust God, and I know I don't trust men. How many of you women have ever said that? I know, I know I don't trust you men, all right? She said, I don't have any more trust in me. She had lost all trust. And then one night she was in her bed writing in her diary, and she saw this picture in her mind, and these words just came to her heart, and she wrote them down. So here are the words to footprint. I just want to read it to you. The story goes like this. One night a man had a dream, and he dreamed that he was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes of his life. And for each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints. One were his own, and the other belonged to the Lord. After the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and at the very saddest times of his life. And this really bothered him. And so he questioned the Lord about it. And he said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the time. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. And I don't understand, Lord, why when I needed you the most, would you abandon me? And the Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, that was when I picked you up and carried you. Amen? Amen? I guess it is a little corny, but you know what? It's true. Dude, listen to me. I can tell you it's true because I've been there. Haven't you? And I can tell you for sure, not only because I know the Bible says it, but because I've also experienced it. God's care for us is constant. Therefore, you can trust him. Here, here's another, another trustworthy statement about God. God's gifts are generous. God's gifts are good. Why? Because his love never fails. Dude, let me tell you, God is so good to us. He gives us blessing after blessing after blessing, sometimes when we don't even deserve them. Why? Because he loves us. And I can tell you, every gift that God has given is a good gift. It, Vaughn, to me, this is mind-boggling. Why, why would God be so good to me? I mean, really, why? Why would God bless me with all the stuff he's blessed me with? Uh, Gary, we lived here for 22 years now. You, you, you and Deronda were at my house, uh, right, I guess, as we moved in. Y'all came over and helped us get those things in. And, and you know, we've lived in that house 22 years now. But sometimes when I take the trash out on Thursday nights and push it down to the end of the street and turn around and I walk back, I look at my house and I think, God, thank you for this place. I don't deserve this house. And really, when Angie and I first got married and, and we were making $75 a week as a youth pastor, I didn't think I would ever live in a house as nice as the house I live in. And for some of y'all, my house may be a dump. I don't know, but I'm proud of my house. I'm thankful for it. God's blessed me with it. It's a gift that I don't deserve. 
And when I get out and jump in my pickup truck in the morning and drive to church, I don't deserve that cool truck, but God gave it to me. Why? Because he loves me. And his gifts are generous to me. He's good to his kids. I've got three good kids. Man, Angie, let me just, you did a great job raising those three kids. I mean, you really did. They're, they're, they're good kids. Love my kids. Two of them are girls. Y'all know that. The oldest and, and the middle one, Whitney and Callie. And uh, Callie just got married. She's still married. <laughs> okay, we can say that. She's still, still married. It took. And uh, here's the thing about, you know, I'm not over this. And I don't know that I'm ever going to get over it. But weddings today are just a scam. Can, I know I've vomited this out before, but can I just keep regurgitating it? I mean, it, it, it really is. It's unbelievable. They, they've, they've got you over the kettle, and they know it, and they squeeze everything out of you, man. I mean, it, it is absolutely insane what is expected now. When Angie and I got married, it was a cake, it was punch, and nuts. And if you were really going out, you had those little mints. And that's it, man. But today, man, they, they just ring you for all your worth. And I'll tell you what, I've, I've watched my bank accounts, my savings, and my checking go down to nothing. And I'm starting all over again. Now, when Whitney got married, Lord have mercy, I was, I was telling Angie all the time, babe, are you sure we got, come, can we do it a little cheaper than that? And, and here's what I would get. I'd get that look. How many guys know that look? That you, yeah. And she said, you know your daughter, she's a princess, she's always dreamed of a fairy tale wedding, let's let her have it. So when it came to the second wedding, I didn't even ask. You know, I don't want, I just watched the balance go down, all right? That's it. Thank God the third one is a boy. I, I said in first service, you guys are blessed because you just have a house full of boys. But it may change. God forbid if it changes and, you know, y'all are stuck with the bill on all four of those boys. But you know what? Here's the... My girls could ask me for anything. And if I could, I'd do it. Why? Because they're good girls. They've never given me an ounce of trouble. They love the Lord. They love their family. They love us. They love God. And I love them. And I'm here to tell you, that's the way God looks at us. Sure, we're not perfect, but if we know Jesus, we're redeemed. And God loves us. We're his children. And every gift that he has given to us is a good gift. And he does it because he loves us. I, I've been belaboring this point long enough. Psalms 136, your assignment is to go home and read the entire psalm. I've just got a few verses up here, but let me just read through this. It says, praise the Lord for he is good. God's love never fails. Praise to the God of all gods because God's love never fails. Praise the Lord of lords. God's love never fails. Only God works great miracles. God's love never fails. With wisdom, he made the sky. God's love never fails. The Lord stretched the earth over the ocean. God's love never fails. He made the bright lights in the sky. God's love never fails. He lets the sun rule each day. God's love never fails. He lets the moon and the stars rule each night. God's love never fails. And, and that's just a sampling. Go home and read the rest of the chapter today. It goes on and on and on as the psalmist makes these statements about who God is and what God has done for us, the gifts that he has given to us. He repeats the refrain, God's love never fails. 
I know this to be trustworthy, a trustworthy statement about God. His care for us is constant, and his gifts are generous and good. Amen? So here's what we need to do. We need to trust God. That's what this sermon is all about. So let me give you some steps in doing that, developing our trust for God. You can trust God. Look at me. Look at me. You can trust God in times of adversity. He's trustworthy. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's always there for us. You can trust him in adversity. Now, we do this through the help of the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Old Testament says in Psalms 56. For in God I trust. I will not be afraid. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my what? Fears. What is David saying? He is saying you and I are responsible to trust God and obey God even in the bad times, even when we are afraid, even when life is spiraling out of control, even when there is debt, even when we are abandoned, even when we do face adversity, you can still trust God. But here's where the conflict comes. Hang in here with me. Here's our problem. God asks us to trust him and obey him in an area of our life that's, that's really bigger than what we can reason or what we can understand. And instead of doing our part, which is trusting and obeying, we want to cross that line and we want to do God's part too. Why? Because we're not really trusting. When our world is falling apart, we want to fix it. We want answers just like that. We want answers the way we want them and, and problems solved the way we want them solved. Sometimes God doesn't act immediately and a lot of times God doesn't solve it the way we want it to be solved. And so we're going like this to God. God, I don't know about this here. I know what your Bible says. It tells me that I, I've got to trust you in, in my marriage. But Lord, have you really looked at my family lately? I'm not quite for sure you totally understand what's going on in this dynamic. We are the picture of dysfunction. God, do you get it? Lord, I know what you've said in your, in your word about, about my finances and, and that I'm supposed to honor you with the first part of everything. But have you looked at my checkbook lately? I'm not quite sure you totally understand what's going on here. And you know what God is saying to you? He's looking down and saying, come on, dude. It's so simple. Just trust me. Just trust me. I really think that's why the Lord said in the Bible, if you really want to go to heaven, you've got to become like a little what? Like a little child. You know how kids are? Dad, I told the first service this story about when we moved out to uh, uh, north of Midland, Green Hill, Harris, and, and on Keeneland Street. We had three acres of land, and uh, we lived on a, a farm. It was a ranch, three-acre ranch out there. And uh, Dad, Dad built this little pole barn in the back, and we had goats and, and a Shetland pony back there. And, and he sectioned it all off with fence, and uh, he, he built the fence himself. It was, it was big old, it, I think it was probably telephone poles that he had gotten free, and he cut them up. <laughs> Get the free part? 
they were big old posts, and, and he would just drive the post down every, I don't know, eight or ten feet, and, and he'd, he'd drill hose in it and put cable that he got from the telephone company, I'm sure. <laughs> this is all making sense to me now. <laughs> yeah, free, free hot dog. Yeah, we'd go to the hardware store and get free hot dogs on Saturdays as, as we work. But uh, I can remember my dad out there digging those post holes. For those big old telephone poles that he sank down in. I don't, know, I don't know how big they were. I'm saying they were maybe 10 foot tall. And he'd, he'd bury them about 4 feet. So there's 6 feet sticking out. But I can rem- Dad, he wouldn't. I don't even know if they had ditch witches back then. Or anything to help dig. But Dad would never. He wouldn't use one. Because he costs money. So he would get out there and do it himself with post hole diggers. How many of y'all have ever used post hole diggers? Dude, let me tell you. You can't use them in Arkansas. There's rocks, but down in West Texas, it's fertile soil, it's good sandy loam. But he'd be out there, and he'd be digging those, those big old deep post, the holes for those posts in. And, and Jason, I can remember, my dad, really, he, back in the day, he was a, he was a stud, man. And uh, he'd be out there, and he'd have his, he'd have his Levi's on and, and his work boots, big old telephone pole climbing work boots. And Gary would take his shirt off. And he, he was ripped, man. My dad used to lift weights all the time. He had, he had a Burr Barbell that he got on, I don't know, he ordered it, mail order or something. Burr Barbell Company, Wes, from New York. We, we still have that old barbell set. But my old dad, man, he used to work out all the time. And he'd be out there digging those post toes. And, man, he, he had his shirt off and his old tattoos were showing. Y'all know my dad has tattoos? I'm telling on him this morning. He's got some great stories. <laughs> about his tattoos that he has on his arms. But, you know, I, I was fascinated with those things when, when I was a kid. He told me, son, if you ever get a tattoo, I want to t-. But they were free. He got <laughs> I remember he was out there digging those post and Those old muscles were ripping. Those tattoos, were, they, were, they were just doing these funny things. because it, it was awesome, man. And after he got one of them set, he picked me up. I was just a little kid, six, seven years old, and he he set me up on top of that that telephone pole, that post. And I was scared to death, man. I mean, I was six feet off the ground. I was a little wimpy, scaredy cat. And And he took a couple of steps back. He said, come on, kid, jump. Jump to me, son. You know, when he said that, all my fear left because all I saw were those big, strong, tattooed arms of my dad. And I jumped. You know why? Because I trusted him. I trusted my dad. And friends, let me tell you, we can trust our God as well. He is trustworthy. Amen? You can trust God. And God is saying, it's simple. Just be like a little kid. Trust me. I'm not going to do you harm. In your times of adversity, when the world is shunning you and turning its back on you and everyone has abandoned you, I never will because I love you. So, trustworthy statement. about You can trust God in times of adversity. Number two, you need to learn to trust God in times of plenty. Let me tell you, this is harder than the adversity one. We genuinely thank God for the blessings He provides for us. But you know what? It really is an indicator of our trust in Him. 
And, and I suppose, truthfully, th this area becomes the most difficult because when we are blessed, there is a tendency for us to either trust in ourselves or in the blessing and not God. I think we run to God when we have times of adversity, but there is a tendency for us to kind of back up and think, you know what, in times of plenty, look what I've done. Look what I've acquired. Look what I've gotten. There's a story about that in the Old Testament. And, and we become self-reliant. That is so human for us. So we need to learn to trust God in times of adversity, but also, and more importantly, trust God in times of plenty. And then number three, we need to trust God because He is the source of everything. Now, here is the human tendency. Trusting God's instruments of provision rather than entrusting in God himself. Here it is. We trust in the job instead of the God who gave us the job. Or we will trust in our health instead of the God who gave us our health. Proverbs chapter 18 helps us with this because it contrasts people who trust God and people who put their trust in their possessions. Look at verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Man, I close my eyes and I imagine that. This strong fortress, this strong tower. That's who the Lord is. Just his name is a strong tower. And righteous people run to that tower for safety. Because we trust God. In times of adversity, in times of plenty. He is our refuge, our strong tower. Here's the contrast. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. And they imagine that stuff to be an unscalable wall. So what is this passage really saying? Well, I think it's pretty simple. For a righteous person, a person who really loves God, they understand that in times of adversity or in times of plenty, we ought to be trusting God. And so no matter what the situation is, we run to God. Just His name is our fortress. What we are trusting in the Lord. On the other hand, the rich people or people who trust in their possessions look at the stuff of their life. And, and it may be more than possessions. It could be anything in your life. But they look to the stuff of their life as their fortified city. They look to their wealth as this unscalable wall and they're hiding behind it. The stuff of their life has become their security blanket. Do you get that? Does that make sense to you? Their wealth is their fortified city. Their wealth is their unscalable wall. And they're trusting in that. Here's the problem. Sooner or later, that fortified city is going to collapse. And sooner or later, somebody is going to scale that unscalable wall. Let me give you another picture to help you with this. Jesus told a story in the book of the Gospel of Matthew. He said there's, there's two guys. One of them was a foolish guy, and he built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the flood came, and the wind blew. The storms of life came in. And what happened to that house on the sand? It collapsed. It washed away. So, if you are trusting in the stuff of life as your security, sooner or later that's going to fail. 
And what do you have left? Nothing. Empty space. Zero. Zippo. Nothing. So doesn't it make sense to trust in God? Or are you like the guy that says, Lord, I just, you know, every time I, it seems that every time that I try to lean on you, it just, it doesn't seem stable, God. I, I don't know. You're, and God says, it's because you've never really leaned on me. So do you trust him? Really, I'm asking you, do you trust him? The truth I can speak today is, church, you can trust him. One of my favorite preachers to listen to is Dr. Lockridge. He's, he's long gone now, but he was, he was this black preacher from California. Man, I do, that dude could just, he had the voice of an angel. And man, he could just preach. Man, he could preach. Love to hear him preach. He had this little thing that he, that he came up with. And man, it's been quoted so many times. I've quoted it here a couple of times in different forms. But I'm going to give you the full length of it. And I sure can't say it like Dr. Lockridge. But I'm just going to read it. All right? Are you ready? Yes. He said, church, you can trust him. He is the one who made us. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love and no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm telling you, you can trust him. His name is the only one able to save. And his blood has the only power to cleanse. He is enduringly strong and he is eternally steadfast. He is the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He's the center savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. You can trust him. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you can call him. And he can satisfy all your needs. And he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak and is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He forgives sinners. He sets captives free. You can trust him. He is the key to knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the path of peace. He is the roadway of the righteous. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. Church, you can trust him. Jesus is enough. He is the all-sufficient king. He is the king of righteousness and he is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven and he is king of glory. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His love never changes and his word is enough. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you. But he is indescribable because he is incomprehensible. He is irresistible because he is invincible. You can't get him off your hands and you can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. You can trust him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they could not stop him. 
Pilate couldn't fault him and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave could not keep him down. There was no one before him. There'll be no one after him. He has no predecessor. He'll have no successor. You can't impeach him and he ain't going to leave office. You can trust him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the giver of life. He's the joy out of every sorrow. He is the light out of every darkness. He is the peace that passes all understanding. He is the God of the future and He is the God of the past. He is salvation and He is the only way to heaven. Church, you can trust Him. But do you? Lord, help.